How about them dogs and cats and precious little children? Long before there was YouTube, there was America's Funniest Home Videos with Bob Saget. Season one aired 32 years ago this week. The first episode made us laugh from baptism to calling. Now we move from baptism to calling in the life of Jesus. Fresh from the waters of baptism and the grips of temptation, Jesus shares his calling to fulfill the Old Testament scriptures. Jesus' first episode was in his hometown where he made that full house in the synagogue proud. Local boy made good. They heard Jesus read scripture and everyone was so pleased, but then he began to interpret the scripture and things took a turn. Hear now the good news from Luke, the third chapter, verses 14 to 30. Then Jesus, filled with the, whole, with the power of the Holy Spirit, returned to Galilee, and a spirit about him spread through all the surrounding country. He began to teach in their synagogues and was praised by everyone. When he came to Nazareth, where he'd been brought up, he went to the synagogue on the Sabbath day, as was his custom. He stood up to read, and the scroll of the prophet Isaiah was given to him. He unrolled the scroll and found the place where it was written. The Spirit of the Lord is upon me because he has anointed me to bring good news to the poor, to proclaim release to the captives and recovery of sight to the blind, to let the oppressed go free, to proclaim the year of the Lord's favor. And he rolled up the scroll, gave it back to the attendant and sat down. The eyes of all in the synagogue were fixed on him. Then he began to say to them, today this scripture has been fulfilled in your hearing. All spoke well of him and were amazed at the gracious words that came from his mouth. They said, is this not Joseph's son? He said to them, doubtless you will quote to me this proverb, doctor cure yourself. And you'll say, do hear also in your hometown the things that we heard you did in Capernaum. And he said, truly I tell you, no prophet is accepted in the prophet's hometown. But the truth is, there were many widows in Israel in the time of Elijah when the heaven was shut up for three years and six months. And there was a severe famine over all the land. Yet Elijah was sent to none of them except a widow at Zarephath in Sidon. There were also many lepers in Israel in the time of the prophet Elisha. And none of them was cleansed except for Naaman the Syrian. When they heard this, all in the synagogue were filled with rage. They got up, drove him out of town and led him to the brow of the hill on which their town was built so they might hurl him off the cliff. But he passed through the midst of them and went on his way. This is the good news according to the gospel of Luke. Thanks be to God. Let us pray. Gracious God, may we hear the scriptures anew and may we follow your word for our lives. Amen. You ever been angry about a sermon? I know you've seen road rage. You ever seen pew rage? Jesus' sermon today doesn't just make people mad. They want to kill him. When I first started out in ministry, I preached an unhappy Thanksgiving sermon. I told people, have an unhappy Thanksgiving unless you do something for someone besides yourself over Thanksgiving. I want you to be unhappy. I know that made some people mad. I was young. I was trying to motivate them to action. A loving parishioner originally from Sparta, Georgia, took me aside afterwards. I don't think I made her mad. She was just kind of saddened by my words and said, Phil, you can't just tell people how bad things are or how bad we are. 
You need to give us something to do to fix things. And that was good advice. Jesus often made people mad by his words and actions. He healed on the Sabbath. He told those without sin to cast the first stone. He offered blessings to peacemakers, to the poor and to the meek. He read the Old Testament to the people of God and interpreted it for them. And he called them to follow their own scriptures more closely. Now, the maddest I've ever seen anyone after a sermon was not a sermon I preached. You remember the day trader shootings down at Piedmont Center some years ago? The next Sunday, Don Hart, my senior pastor at Peachtree Road United Methodist, preached a sermon on gun control. Now, Don was from rural Georgia. He was an avid hunter, so he had some credibility. He knew what he was talking about and made some suggestions about gun safety in his sermon that next Sunday. That Monday, a young man came to the church office demanding to see Don. Don wasn't in, so they sent him to one of the associates, me. I got the short straw that day. He let me have it with both barrels. How dare the preacher talk about gun control? There's no place for that in church. It's just not right. Now, I was still young. And after I got him calmed down a bit, I merely asked this question. What do you think Jesus would say about gun control? Now, I didn't have an answer to that question, but I thought it was worth pondering together. That young man shook his head vehemently and said, I'd have to disagree with Jesus on that. I didn't know how to respond, but finally I said, well, our job here is to try and represent Jesus. And if you disagree with him, you're going to disagree with us. Are there places in your life where you are in disagreement with Jesus about something? I sometimes wonder if I don't make people angry enough in my sermons. At times, people won't make changes unless they get angry. Angry at something, angry at their situations. For anger can be a great motivator. Anger can fuel change when properly channeled. When you are angry, it helps you to sit down and think about the problem. And then we can ask ourselves, what triggered my anger? What triggers the anger of the hometown crowd there in the synagogue? Jesus was doing just fine until he started interpreting the text. He shows up in his hometown synagogue as was his custom. He's invited to read the text for the day. He unrolls the scroll to the passage from Isaiah and speaks these words. The spirit of the Lord is upon me because he's anointed me to bring good news to the poor, to proclaim release to the captives and recovery of sight to the blind, to let the oppressed go free and to proclaim the year of the Lord's favor. Then Jesus sits down and every eye in the place is on him waiting. Well, it's funny. Jesus stopped reading the Isaiah scroll before a certain verse. If you look closely at Isaiah 61, it states to proclaim the year of the Lord's favor and the day of the Lord's vengeance. Now that may have kindled some anger. Why did Jesus stop before the good part? Jesus declares the Lord's favor. His ministry is going to be about the Lord's favor, but skips the vengeance part. We sure like it when other people get what they deserve. We want favor for us and vengeance for them. Jesus says today, this day, this scripture has been fulfilled in your hearing. Good news to the poor, release to the captive, sight to the blind, freedom to the oppressed. This is Jesus' calling. He defines for them who the Messiah will be today. Even John Wesley took those words seriously and started a deliberate program to visit the poor and the sick in his community back in 1730. Before we look more at the anger of the crowd, 
I want to pause because I love the line where it says, Jesus went to the synagogue on the Sabbath day as was his custom. As was his custom. Jesus was faithful to the Sabbath, the synagogue and the scriptures. Now customs can be a great thing. They help mold us and make us who we are. The things we do over and over again help form us as disciples. Jesus is honoring the system that's already in place. He doesn't say, stop coming to the synagogue, but he brings a disruptive word to that system to get people to change, to motivate movement. They seem to have gotten in the habit of thinking about themselves more than thinking about others. Several years ago, I read a life-changing book by Charles Duhigg, The Power of Habit. We all have bad habits, don't we? That we would like to change. We make decisions to change. We pray for the power to change. And we even announce to others that we're going to make a change. And then we take some positive steps toward that change. But we often fall back into familiar patterns. Or maybe that just happens to me. Duhigg's research challenged me to concentrate not on the habit itself, but to examine the larger neurological loop that comprises all our patterns of behavior. He asserts that each habit, good or bad, starts with a cue that moves into a routine and then the, the habit that results in some reward in the end. He invites us to identify the entire routine before and after the habit we want to change. Several years ago, I was gaining weight because one of my consistent patterns was coming home after a long day and heading straight to the fridge. The refrigerator was the first thing I saw after coming in through the door and I made a beeline straight for it without even thinking. My tired and hungry self opened the door and grabbed the closest consumable without a thought. To change that habit, I had to isolate the cues that led up to that habit. When I arrived home, the cue, I went straight to the fridge, was my bad habit. To disrupt that routine, I started intentionally searching the house to say hello to my wife Elizabeth as my first action when I got home. This is still my routine now. I may occasionally arrive at the refrigerator door later, but not as quickly. To change the habit, you need to change the larger routine. And Jesus disrupts their routine. They thought it was just going to be another day as usual in the synagogue. Jesus reads the text and boldly states, Today, this scripture has been fulfilled in your hearing. That probably got their attention, but still all spoke well of him at that point. And then they ask what seemed like a rhetorical question. Is this not Joseph's son? And Jesus says to himself, you don't know the half of it, for he is the son of God coming to disrupt their comfortable existence, pushing them to be better, to be the people of God they said they were. Jesus predicts what they want from him is not a challenging word, but what they want is the miracles that he performed in other places like Capernaum the healing that he brought to other places. Bring that here to your hometown. But Jesus is seeking to draw the circle of God's love wider than they would like. The good news is not for us to hold on to for ourselves in our hometown. The good news is a gift to share far beyond ourselves. So Jesus tells two stories, not random stories from his life, but two stories from their own scriptures to illustrate first and second Kings. The first story is about a woman from outside Israel, a widow, who receives the blessings of God. The second goes even further afield to show God's healing power in the life of a leper from as far away as Syria. Jesus is telling them, you've been blessed to be a blessing, folks. Are you using your gifts for yourselves or for others? If not, your argument is not with me, but with Jesus. And this is what makes them angry. We want you to do something for us, Jesus, your hometown folks, yet you tell us stories about outsiders. You won't bless us, but you speak of blessing outsiders. 
And that is when they decide to stone him. In ancient times, you could stone someone by throwing stones at them, obviously, or by throwing them at stones. The angry mob mob attacks this nonviolent leader. They try to toss him off the cliff, but the force is strong with him. The spirit of the Lord is upon him and he slips through their grasp. You know that anger is just one letter short of danger. In fact, my friend Ron Greer, the pastoral counselor at Peachtree Road would often say, anger is a secondary emotion. It often erupts when hurt and fear come together. We get angry when we don't know how to deal with the hurt and we are afraid of things being out of our control. Someone said this, if you get angry, count to 10. And when you get to eight, punch someone. They don't expect that. Jesus is pushing his people, pushing them to look beyond themselves and they disagree with Jesus on this. Richard Marchinko, leader of SEAL Team 6 who died recently, put it this way, change hurts. It makes people insecure, confused and angry. People want things to be the same as they've always been because that makes life easier. But if you're a leader, you can't let people hang on to the past. Change hurts. Jesus could not let people hang on to the past. Honor the past, yes, but not live there. Keep up healthy customs of the past, past, scripture and Sabbath, but rid yourself of the ones that are no longer working. The future of Israel was not to be a light to themselves, but a light to the nations. Now, everyone wishes they could change something about themselves, but We spend most of our time concentrating on what others need to change. When someone points out to us what we might need to change, what we might need to reconsider, we get angry. When confronted with things that we don't like about ourselves, we have to consider a change. But we know change can bring loss and loss brings grief. And the first stage of grief is anger. Yet what we thought we were angry about on the surface may come from a deeper sense of hurt and fear that erupts as anger. For friends, we live in angry times. It's in our politics, our schools, our homes. Anger can be a destructive emotion, but it can also be a positive force. In an NPR piece entitled The Other Side of Anger, the story is told how Dr. Martin Luther King Jr. himself struggled with anger throughout his life. Though King became an icon of nonviolence and peace, he also inwardly wrestled with anger and at times would snap at those he loved. Anybody else ever deal with that? King understood the dual nature of anger, how it could be a motivating force for change while also containing the potential for destruction. Dr. Martin Luther King realized that nonviolent resistance offered a way to channel anger into positive forms of protest. His daughter, Bernice, who sat next to me when I graduated from Emory, said this, if you internalize anger and you don't find a channel, it can destroy you. Hate is too great a burden to bear. King knew that anger could be corrosive and erosive. Now you might remember that King was only 26 years old when he was thrust into a leadership role in the struggle for civil rights. Think about that, 26 years old, and he found himself having to speak before thousands of people who'd gathered in a mass meeting at the Holt Street Baptist Church, and those people were angry and upset. And he told the crowd that the only weapon that they would use was the weapon of protest, that they would follow the teachings of Jesus. For King deeply believed in the power of redemptive love. From King's standpoint, anger is part of a process that includes anger, forgiveness, redemption, and love. 
Because if you only have anger, the anger will paralyze you. You cannot do anything constructive just living in your anger. King said you must be willing to suffer the anger of the opponent and yet not return anger. Jesus did not return anger for anger. He was rejected by the people of his hometown, by the people who knew him best. King was once asked, how can I overcome my bad temper? When I'm angry, I say things to those I love that hurt them terribly. Dr. King replied that you have to make an important, you've made an important first step by admitting this weakness. You should also seek to concentrate on the higher virtue of calmness. You expel a lower vice by concentrating on a higher virtue, King explained. A destructive passion is harnessed by directing that same passion into constructive channels. Jesus did not let their anger deter him from his mission. He was hoping to harness their anger to change the world. Jesus does not go elsewhere because he was rejected. He was rejected because he went elsewhere, drawing the circle of God's love wider than the home folks wanted to see. Bishop Will Willimon used to be the dean of the chapel at Duke. One day he received a phone call from a very irate parent. This father exploded on the other end of the line, telling Willimon furiously, I hold you personally responsible for this. He was angry because his graduate school bound daughter had decided in his words to throw it all away and go and do mission work in Haiti with the Presbyterian church. The father screamed, isn't that absurd? She has a BS from Duke and she's going to dig ditches in Haiti. I hold you personally responsible for this. Willimon said, why me? The father said, you ingratiated yourself and filled her with all this religion stuff. But Bishop Willimon was not easily intimidated. He asked the father, sir, weren't you the one who had her baptized? And the father said, well, well, yes. And didn't you take her to Sunday school when she was a little girl? Well, yes. And didn't you allow her to go on youth group ski trips to Colorado when she was in high school? Yes, but what does that have to do with anything? Willimon said, sir, you are the reason she's throwing it all away. You introduced her to Jesus. But the father said, all we wanted was a Presbyterian. Willimon replied, well, sorry, sir, you messed up. You've gone and made a disciple. She's following Jesus. Think about the things that are making you angry this week. We seem to get mad about the wrong things. I think the maddest I've been lately is when green peppers showed up in my Chinese food the other day. I overreacted <clears throat> and that anger was so pointless. All it did was make other people around me angry or hurt. So maybe we need to ask, is this something Jesus would also be angry about? And if so, are you angry enough to make a change? Anger can harness, to help us harness the energy to change. Anger can fuel change when it becomes part of the cycle of redemptive love. May Jesus push you enough this week to be angry enough to change what needs to change in your life and in the world. My friend's dad always said that if you want people to be angry with you, lie to them. But if you want people to be so mad at you that they never speak to you again, tell them the truth. And Jesus spoke the truth in love. And we need to deal with it. Amen.